Good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Good morning, all of you City Lifers out there. Um, good morning, visitors, family members, guests, anyone randomly scrolling through Facebook. Um, it's my pleasure to bring our word to us today. Again, uh, this is actually, I went back and I was looking up how many weeks we've not been together. And this is our sixth Sunday not meeting in person. I remember when all of this started and I was thinking to myself, oh, if, we, if somebody gets this two weeks, that's so long. But it looks like we're going to be like this for who knows how long right now. And um, we just have to uh, grieve every week that we're not together. I grieve every single week that we are not in person together. Uh, I grieve because I want to be out and about and active and pastoring everyone, shepherding everyone um, face to face, and I just can't do that right now. And so this has been difficult, and so I grieve every week. But I also have shifted my prayer and a lot of my focus, a lot of my heart's attention this week. I want to capitalize on the time that we have. You know, I pray for everyone who is suffering, everyone who is losing people and I think all of us will at some point um, which is super sad but if we're not in that suffering if we're not in that grief let's capitalize on this time that we have help those who are suffering come alongside them and help bring them up but also I've been thinking for my life and for our church that I want to leave this quarantine season. I want to leave COVID-19 and I want my life to be changed forever for Jesus. I want to live the life that I've always wanted to live but have been hesitant to for whatever reason. I want to do all the things that Jesus has for me to do. I want there to be a marketably different Pedro post-COVID-19 than pre-COVID-19. And so I want to capitalize on this time. However long we're still here, let's make these prayer calls. Let's join our MC calls. Let's not just settle into isolation. Let's not settle into feeling so tired. We all are going through a lot right now. Um, but I know with God, all things are possible. And so let's do this together. Let's do this as a church. I've been saying this for weeks, and I really believe it. No disease, no virus, no anything happening in the world changes our call to be God's church together. And so let's let's not waste this time, but let's as a church leave things behind. We talked about that last week. Let's leave things behind in this quarantine and we never have to carry them out of here again. Today, I am so excited because we are back in Mark and we are not just in Mark, we're in a passage that is really, really personally special to me. You know, I never, I did not have this passage, this verse, memorizer in my heart all of my life but looking back I see how this passage uniquely has shaped the man I am today and the man I want to be in the future this passage has uniquely molded me God has uniquely taught me this in a lot of different ways we're going to be in Mark 10 verses 13 to 31 today I'll give you some time to get there um but one of the outcomes of my whole life, one of the outcomes of what God has been doing and part of his plan and mission for my life has, that, has been that he has always taught me that people are my treasures in this world. You know, obviously, and I hope we all know this, God is our ultimate treasure. God is number one. He takes precedent over all things. 
you know, we re were reading in our prayer calls last week how God, Jesus is preeminent. Jesus takes first place every time. But that how Jesus puts in our lives, when we follow him, the treasures in our life are people, are one another. You know, I, if you don't know my story, I immigrated here when I was three from Brazil. My parents moved our family here. Long story, but we'll just keep it simple right now. We all moved here and I was three years old. And growing up as a young kid, I learned that my family, that is my treasure. That is my safe place. Growing up, I, as I made friends in high school, I was a pretty typical teenager, never wanting to be home. I outgrew that, don't worry, uh, for the people who have teenagers, I outgrew it. But I learned that if with my friends, I could find family. And college, I literally found family when I met Anne the second day of college. And then uh, after college, I went and I did uh, year-long missions that I did for two years called Mission Year. It was a program called Mission Year. And in there, I learned that when you leave your house, when you leave your family, when you leave your land for the sake of the Gospels to communicate Jesus, or when you just dedicate your life wherever you are to live for Jesus, you will always be getting treasure in this world families and more homes not literally but homes and families and places that you call home and so that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today that's exactly where mark brings us to where jesus brings us to in mark's gospel we're going to be talking about people family kingdom and treasures you know today i pray that this passage powerfully challenges you to answer two important questions in your life First question is, who receives the kingdom of God? And the second question is, where is my true treasure? Again, who receives the kingdom of God? And where is my true treasure? Please pray with me as we enter into, even I want to pray this week, even before we get to our word, because I want the Holy Spirit to be moving in our lives, moving exactly where we are in every life stage and in every difficulty that we might find ourselves in right now. And so please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, none of us would have wanted this day. None of us wanted this season, Lord. I pray for all the families and all the people who are suffering, who have lost people, Lord. Be their counselor. Help them to grieve. Bring them to your scriptures where you say it's okay and you teach us how to do it. Lord, I just pray comfort and love over them. Lord, I pray that you would powerfully move in exactly where we are in life, that you would be teaching us from your word what it is that we're gaining in this life and what it is that it looks like to belong to your kingdom. How do we receive your kingdom? Who receives your kingdom, Lord? Holy Spirit, please be doing a powerful work in all of our lives. Move us this morning. Do the work of ministering to us exactly where we are. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Mark 10, like I said, starting in verses 13 to 31. Uh, and I love this story. Let's, let's read it together and we will spend the rest of our time here unpacking what it means. God's word says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And he was setting out on a journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Do you know the commandments? Sorry, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus took around, looked around and said to the disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brother, or sister, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And I, I love that. I, I just want to pray again. Please pray with me this morning again. Jesus, um, I love this word. I love this promise. I love that you promise to be with us every time we leave things that we love, things that we know, for your sake and for the gospel's sake, and that we will gain so much more than we ever imagined in this life and in the age to come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like to receive your kingdom. Who receives your kingdom, Lord? Teach us this day how to receive you more fully, how to live out our lives daily with you. Lord, we trust you to do all these things. Only you can show us how to do these things. So Lord, I love you and I pray for all the people watching this. Lord, do something powerful in our lives. Change us from the inside out. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we continue, let's recap. Let's zoom out a little bit. We'll zoom in and then we'll dive right on in. Let's zoom out a little bit to all of chapter 10 so far that we've been covering. We preached about the first part of this, verses 1 to 12, about what God has to say about marriage and divorce. Uh, sorry, verses 1 through 12. And we see that there, God is redefining, he's talking his truth over what marriage is. That he says, okay, your marriage is not apart from your faith, but that God has something to say about your marriage. And then from there, he goes on to talk about kids and about all of our kids and how God loves children. And so he talks about our marriages, he talks about our kids. And then he also talks about our treasures and our possessions. And so in here we have this like little microcosm here that 
Jesus is saying that no, no part of our life, no part of who we are is safe or apart from what Jesus has to say over it, but that every part of our home, our spouses, our relationships, our kids, our treasures, that's all fair game, that Jesus talks about it and directs it, and that God has care and love for you in that. And then we zoom back in into today's passage, and we see that people start bringing their kids to Jesus and instead of being a God who, ha- who wants nothing to do with kids, he takes them and he rebukes those who, say, who are rebuking them for bringing him the kids. And he says, bring them to me. And Jesus spends time with them. And he prays and blesses them and he lays his hands on them and he plays with them. I'm sure he, I'm sure he picked some of them up. But we see that Jesus cares. And he also says that the kingdom belongs to such people. He does not say it belongs to only kids or you have to somehow jump in a time machine or become a kid or become immature or, or any of that. But he says that the kingdom belongs to such people. He blesses them. He lets them go on their way. He loves on them a little bit more. And then abruptly this man comes out of nowhere. He runs to Jesus. He kneels before him. He does a couple of things. He calls him a good teacher, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Then he asks him a pretty important, revealing question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus quotes an interesting portion of the Ten Commandments. They talk a little bit. The man says, okay, yeah, sure, check. I've done all of those things. Then Jesus gives him one assignment. Go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and then come. Follow me. Follow us. Be one of my disciples. And just as abruptly as this man entered into the biblical narrative, he abruptly leaves, and it says that he's full of sorrow. Jesus takes that moment to give a commentary about wealth, which we will talk about. We won't avoid. And then two times in this passage, it says that people are amazed or astonished at Jesus and what he had done. I, I, I love this passage so much. I love how these two come together to form this picture of what Jesus is doing right now. I love how he addresses this important issue of who receives the kingdom and where our true treasures are. I love how he interacts with both of these groups of people, kids and this young man, this ruler, the, some of the other gospels call him a rich ruler, Mark only calls him a rich man. And so we need to talk about at least three things today. We could spend the rest of our lives on what this means for, for us right now, but let's talk about three things. And the first one I've just been saying, receive the kingdom like children. One of the things that I love how scripture does over and over and over again is that it, contra- it contrasts things. It holds one thing up against the other, and we're forced to wrestle to make sense of it. And over and over again in today's passage, this rich young man is compared to someone else. And so right off the bat, we see that the scripture is comparing children to this man. Why is it that we need to receive the kingdom like children? And why couldn't this man do it? Why didn't he do it? Why did he come to Jesus with this burning passion? He ran up to him, he knelt before him, he paid him all the respect. But why is it that he left and didn't get what he wanted or couldn't follow what he wanted? So let's talk about children first. We have to start there. Let's talk about why kids. You know, I love how Scripture says that Jesus is our brother, right? That we are co-heirs with him 
that he is our brother, that you are a daughter or a son of God and co-heirs with Christ. But in this story, Jesus shows us the heart, the love, the compassion of our Heavenly Father. You know, I love that Jesus takes time to play. He rebukes those who would stop kids from coming to him. That that is how he views all of creation. All of, people, all of the people in the world are his kids, and he can't help but love them and want to be with them. You know, here Jesus shows us that our God isn't too big. He's not too serious. He's not too far away. He's not disconnected. He's not too important. He has not lost touch with the world. But that he chose to tell us who he was by telling us and promising us that he is our good father. You know, let's not go anywhere until we talk about that really quick. That these kids got a chance to be with their creator and their creator just loved on them for a little bit. He blessed them. He played with them. Now, there are so many pains in the world. There are so many pains that people associate with God and with Jesus. But one thing that we can always go back to is that God is our perfect father and that he wants good things for all of his kids. Now, if, if we only understood that a little bit more, if we only got to experience Jesus and God the way that these kids got to, but that we are all just, no matter how big and important or serious we think that we are, we are ultimately always his kids. And I, rem I remember once I went to this church and this Christian speaker that I, I really admired at the time, this was at a church, a historic church, like a couple hundred old church. And he picked their oldest elder and he just like <laughs> was making so much fun of this man, saying really inappropriate things. Because you know what? Because we are all his children and the most serious one out of all of us is still just God's child. Now, I, there are a lot of correct answers to this question. There's a lot of correct answers to why, why kids? Why do kids receive the God? What is Jesus talking about here? And there could be a lot of truth in, in this answer. There can be a lot of things that kid, um, kids have and know about God or just trust in God. Uh, but I want to talk about three things really quick. Three things that I think shape the rest of this story. Three things that kids know how to do with God, or just people in general, is that they are receptive, that is that they know how to trust, and that they can accept things given to them without merit, this idea of merit. You know, when I go to Ryan and when I give him something or when we play something, when I teach him something, it's only a matter of time. Lately, he's been doing this so much. It's only a matter of time before he goes to Anne, does that thing and says, oh, my daddy taught me this. I love that. that. I love that little boy. That anything that I do, even if he's just sitting near me, he's watching me, he's receiving and taking in all of this stuff and how he goes and practices what I do, that he is so receptive that when I talk to him, he listens that when I correct him, he starts crying because he uh, is scared or is scared of being in trouble or because he so wants to do good by me. I love that little boy. You know, kids are trusting. Kids look up to the people in their lives and they trust you. If I tell Ryan something, you better believe he's going to trust me. When I tell him, don't do that because it's going to hurt you, he does not do that. Kids are trusting. Kids are really trusting. And especially this idea of receiving without merit, which is, is, which is grace. That kids 
don't ever when I want to give Ryan a good thing when I want to give him dessert or when I want to give him a chocolate or play with him or let him watch a show he doesn't stop there and say well daddy I don't know if I deserve this but no kids receive things and they don't think about if they deserve it or not because if the person they love and trust is giving them this then they're gonna take it and that is a beautiful thing now I love that I love that about these kids and about kids and about how a childlike faith just receives trust and doesn't think about merit because we trust the God that we serve we trust that he is so much bigger smarter than us that anything he does for us man thank God for being so good to us Let's talk about this rich young man. Let's talk about how he contrasts this. We'll talk about his character a little bit later. We'll talk about more specifically his interaction with Jesus a little bit later. But let's talk about the outcome of this story. You know, if the kingdom belongs to people who are receptive, who people who can trust God, who people who don't look at their own merit but receive grace, receive freely from the Lord, then, and this man does not do any of those things, and he walks away. The one thing that he wanted out of from Jesus, the one thing that he, I think, really lovingly and honestly came to Jesus for, he walks away full of sorrow because he just cannot receive what Jesus had for him. You know, this man was so dissatisfied with the answer that Jesus gave him that he didn't get the one thing that he was really looking for. You know, this has made me think a lot this week. In my own experience in ministry, watching people receive and experience Jesus and yet choosing to walk away. You know, to some, the gospel isn't radical enough. They want a more radical Jesus and they walk away. To some, the gospel is way too radical and they walk away dissatisfied. You know, to some, the gospel isn't intellectual enough. And to some, it's too foolish. Now, I think that speaks a lot about us, that if you want to receive the kingdom, you have to trust that what Jesus said is good. Not blindly, but Jesus is big enough to show us that it is good, that he wants good things for us, that our Father in heaven is way too big, way too strong, and way too loving to make mistakes. You know, this rich wrong man, he wanted eternal life with Jesus. Jesus gave him the avenue to do this, and yet it triggered the one thing that he couldn't get rid of, and he said no. You know, would it be that we would just be more like kids, that we would receive what Jesus has for us, we would receive the instruction and the wisdom and that we would trust that it is good, and that we would see with our own eyes that it is good, and that we would receive grace. That we would receive thinking, you know what, Jesus, if you say I deserve this, or if you say I should have this, or do this thing, then I trust you that it is good. No. The rich man was dissatisfied by what Jesus had for him. And I think and the story is really a sad story about how we often we're we think that the answer should be one thing. But no, we are supposed to be more like children, receiving and trusting and not thinking about our own merits. Because one of the things that this guy shows us is that if you're living in your own kingdom, if you have all the things that you need, if you have your kingdom set, then why would you receive God's? 
you have everything you ever wanted, why would you receive God? But we'll talk about that in a little bit. And so I want us to talk about the second point of today's run. And I've just been calling it wealth and kingdom. This might be the shortest of these three points today because we actually preached on this a couple of months ago, late last year. But I never want to be in the practice of not talking about what Jesus was talking about. I never want to neglect what Jesus was actually doing and saying and preaching about in the moment. Um, I never want to be about that. And so we need to talk about wealth. We need to talk about money. What is Jesus talking about here? And so I want us to read starting in verse 21 again. 21 says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see, see, he, this man, he came with Jesus with one question. They had this, in, this interaction that we'll talk about in a second. But Jesus tells him, okay, this is one thing that you lack, and yet he can't do it. Now, I know I, I just said this, but the, the, but the one burning question here is, how difficult it is to receive the kingdom of God when you already have your own kingdom. Now, how difficult it is for you to say, no to what you have, no to what you've built, no to what your hard work has caused or your luck has caused. Give it all away and say, Jesus, I will only receive from you what you give me. You know, I think Jesus here is really giving us a serious word about money, about wealth, about our treasures, about putting our hearts into what we have. That it is really difficult for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Because they have their own kingdom. They have everything that they want. You know, Jesus starts talking about this crazy expression that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And there's a lot of explanations about the origin of this expression, and it's really debated. But the point is, it is really hard, it is exceedingly difficult for the rich to realize their need for Jesus, for them to say yes to Jesus, for them to say no to everything that they have, all the treasures of this world, and say yes to Jesus. How difficult it is to receive the kingdom of God when you already have your own kingdom here. Now last week I talked about the first three Indiana Jones movies, not the last one because that was an abomination, but the first three. And this week I just want to talk about the movie Avatar. I think most of us have seen it. It's the second highest grossing movie of all time. And when uh, Sully jumps into the Avatar and he's talking to the Navi, sorry, I sound a little nerdy right now, but their number one complaint about him is that they can't help him see because how can you fill a cup that's already full? And I think that applies pretty nicely into this word today. How can someone who has it all, who thinks that they are 100% complete, how can that person be full if they think they're already full. Now, an important note here is that this is, I don't believe this to be a universal call. That everyone, everyone, the second you believe in Jesus, that you have to sell everything that you have and give to the poor. That if you have a certain, over a certain amount of wealth, that you need to give it all away. I do think that every Christian needs to live below their means so that they can be generous. 
I do think that we are called to tithe to our local church. I do believe that our faith causes us to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. I do believe that we should be giving sacrificially to the point where it hurts from time to time. I do believe all of those things. But it is important to acknowledge when you think that you are so full, when your wealth and your possessions, when your trust, when your receptiveness, and when your merit is overflowing in yourself and what you've built and what you have and in the security of your bank account, then it's time to give it away. It's time to trade in your kingdom for the Lord's kingdom. I think that that's a big part of what Jesus is talking about here. How can you really, really live dependent on Jesus when you're dependent on no one but what you can do? You know, there is a time for us to give out, to receive only what the Lord gives for us. And I think that's an important part of this rich young man. Jesus gave him one thing to do and he couldn't do it. And oh, how difficult it is if you think that you have it all together. How difficult it is to receive, how difficult it is to trust how difficult it is to receive the message, follow me until your death, if you are really, if your comfort or your security or your wealth, it gets in the way. Where are your treasures? How can we inherit the kingdom of God? That's what we're really talking about. And so that begs the question, then who? That's our last point for today. Then who? Read with me uh, in verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked around at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I love that their question goes there. We're not told who asked this question. But so many times we see that the crowd or the disciples or the people around asks all the wrong questions. And in this story, that this is a really, really good, a really good appropriate question. If not this man, then who? You see, I, I talk about this often, and I hope it never gets stale because it's so all over Scripture that sometimes the people who, who are supposed to be the ones who get it right, if not this rich young man, if not like the other Gospels call him, this rich young ruler, if not him, then who? Then who is good enough? Then who merits entering into the kingdom of God? This guy, he was, he was good enough. He was supposed to be good enough. He was supposed to be there. And yet we see that it is not him. So let's look at their interaction a little bit. This man goes to Jesus. He abruptly enters into the biblical narrative. And he, asks, he says, good teacher. He calls Jesus a good teacher. And he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they go on and Jesus Seemingly, it's a weird question, right? It's a weird thing for Jesus to go up against, but he's doing this really intentionally. He says, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. You don't know who I really am, so why are you calling me good teacher? And he's doing that really importantly. Because then he starts going to the Ten Commandments, and he, he quotes an interesting portion of the Ten Commandments, all of the commandments that have everything to do with not our relationship with the Lord, but our relationship with one another, all of the commandments that could be easily verified, right? Because you can know if you've committed adultery, if you've murdered, if you've stolen, if you've borne false witness, if you defrauded someone, and if you don't honor your father and mother. You could see that. You can see that just through 
their reputation or the story on them or if they've done this. You can see that. And then all of a sudden this man, he practically says, you know what, I'm good. I've done all of those since I was young. And though I think that that's probably true because the one thing Jesus always stood up against was hypocrisy. He never let the Pharisees get away with looking better than they were. And Jesus doesn't raise that with this man. And so even if it were true that he did, you know, we contrast this man with Jesus. This Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of Man, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, the, the Lion of Judah, all of these good things. When someone goes up to him and says, good teacher, he says, no, only God is good. Why are you calling me good? Though we know Jesus is good, though we know Jesus never says that he's not. We also know Philippians 2 and that Jesus is perfectly humble. He says, no, only God is good. And that contrasts to when Jesus holds up the Ten Commandments to him, when all of us always need to say, I'm broken and I've fallen. I've never kept all those commandments. I have never held up my end of the bargain. And yet we do not see this in this man's response. If Jesus, the creator of all things, said, God, only God is good, and this man said, you know what, I'm good. I'm, I'm there. I've done all of these things. Then what a contrast. What a contrast of knowing where you are. What a contrast, what a revealing statement when we're talking about receptiveness and trust and merit. That this, this man thought that he had all of the merit, that he had earned all of these things because of what he had done. He basically says, you know what, Jesus, I'm good. I've been keeping those. What is it? And then Jesus, in his wisdom, knows exactly what to give him. Now, I, I love how the people around Jesus were utterly astonished. Now, I think they were astonished by the man leaving. I think they were astonished that he wasn't, that he wasn't worthy or considered good enough. That he left away, though he was the prime candidate, he left with full of sorrow. And so I think the astonish astonishment was on a lot of different levels. But I also think that the a part of the astonishment was in how Jesus let him go away. You know, let me read a quote for us. This came from one of my uh, the commentaries that I read this week. Um, and it says this, By the way in which he expressed towards him that love was not by lowering his demands with regard to him, in order to more easily win him into the company of his followers, but by laying his finger with utter frankness on what it was that was impeding his quest for eternal life, namely his wealth. Telling him, therefore, that he lacked but a single thing, he bade him to sell his possessions, giving the proceeds to the poor, and, becoming, and become them one of his disciples. But he could not bring himself to do this. And in contrast with the eagerness with which he ran up to Jesus, he went away sorrowful. I think that it's the story so perfectly told in that how quickly he entered into Jesus's life, he left Jesus's life because he was not ready to let go of his own kingdom, because he was not willing to be receptive to what Jesus said that he would not be willing to take that leap of faith and do what Jesus said, though it would cost him a lot. And though all he could think about was his own merit, 
I think this story is, is a painful reminder to us. It's a painful reminder to any one of us who have rejected Jesus at some point of life or have had a dear one reject what Jesus had for them in our lives. You know, it is always sad when we see people turn away from Jesus. But if we're talking about the kingdom of God, and if we're talking about putting our treasures in the right place, then let's also see, let's wrap all of this together. Let's conclude by talking about what it was that Jesus actually promises us in this, what it was that where our treasures will be in this world, what does he promise that if we leave our homes, if we leave our family for the sake of the gospels, what is it that we're going to gain? And so to conclude all of this, let's talk about this, starting in verse 28. And Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. I don't know how to read that. To me, that sounds kind of like, oh, Jesus, like, oh, look at us. I don't know if it was actually that, though it sounds like that. But Jesus doesn't uh, correct him in this. And so let's, let's just go for it. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands, long list, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in, in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now I love this. This is a promise that scripture screams out all the time, all over the biblical story is that when you say yes, when you say, I will receive what you have for me, Jesus. When you say, Jesus, I trust you to bring good things. And when you accept grace, grace that we never deserve and we will never earn. And if we leave our homes, if we leave brothers, sisters, fathers, houses, mothers, children, lands, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of telling the whole world who Jesus was and that they need him, our true treasure will be that we will gain lands, we will gain mothers, we will gain brothers, uh, we will gain sisters, homes in this world, today, on earth, and in life to come, with persecutions. I love that the promise that Jesus has is that when we say yes, when we really receive, when we are receptive, when we trust, and when we accept grace, that our treasure will no longer be in the things that we build, will no longer be in the little kingdoms that we build for ourselves, will, never, will not be in the hard work that we put in, but it'll be, our treasure will be Him and the people and the lands that we gain. Because nothing stops the growth of the gospel, nothing stops the forward moving of Jesus' gospel. We will find persecution. And we will have to say no to things. We, there will be times and there will be people who need to give away all of their possessions. But we always gain so much more for, for following and living the gospel that right now here in Jersey City, if we press forward, if we march, if we are faithful to the gospel, God doesn't promise us that we'll ever have our own building. I wish we had our own building in this season because... The kitchen is not where I want to be recording these. We are not going to be having a $10 million budget. We're not going to be doing all this. But you know what we'll gain? You know what our treasure will be? City Life treasure will be that we will gain family. We will gain people. We will gain homes to have in season. 
We will give homes that where we can crash in when we're in a tight spot. That we will have people brought to us who we will share life with, who we will have to say goodbye to when they eventually move away from Jersey City in about eight months. But that we will gain so much more than we will ever lose if we follow and live our lives for the gospel. That if we are more like children, if that we are more trusting, that we are more receptive, that we take leaps of faith, that we accept grace, we will suffer a lot, we will lose a lot, we will be persecuted at some point, but we will be more than compensated with family. You know, one of the things that I love that it does not mention here, it says that there's no mention of us gaining fathers. It talks about losing fathers or leaving fathers, but we will not gain fathers. And that's not because we won't gain men in our lives, but that we already have the one perfect heavenly father who will play with us, who will be like, treat us like the kids that we are. That even when I'm a hundred years old, if I ever get that far, that I will be God's child. And so these are the two questions that we came into today with. Who receives the kingdom of God? Like children, let's practice receptiveness. Let's practice trust that God loves us, that he is our father and he has good things for us. And that let's throw away any idea of merit, of deserving anything, of God owing us anything. That's a difficult one in this time. Let's wrestle with that in our MC calls if we need to. And then the second question is, where is my true treasures? What is it that you're really hoping to gain in this world? Is it money? Is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it popularity? Is it success? Or is it gaining family, living for the gospel, experiencing all these things that Jesus has for us to build his kingdom of set of our own? Well, let's go into our MC's calls this week, or right now after this call, excuse me. Let's wrestle through some of these questions. I'll give the prompts in a second, but I wanted to close us this week with a benediction. I want to bless us with the first benediction that we find in Scripture to go out and to live our lives, to experience what Jesus has for us, to take in the treasures that he wants us to receive. What is it that God really wants us to receive in this world? And so if you can close your eyes with me, I'll give this blessing and we will go uh, into our MC calls. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, please make it so that we can be together again soon, Lord. Make it so that this virus is eradicated out off the face of the earth, Lord. Lord, until that day happens, I celebrate with my family exactly where we are. Lord, we ask for you to make us more childlike, to receive the kingdom, and to receive the true treasures that you have for us. Lord, please bless us to go forward into all of our Zoom calls, into all of our Google Hangouts, into a time right now that feels so frantic and crazy. Lord, I pray that you would continually be making sense, continually rewarding us with more and more family and friends. Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey City Life, one more thing. Our prompts for this week, the three questions that we go into our MC calls. Please don't feel uh, any pressure to for everyone to answer all of these questions. This wasn't designed for it to take two hours or an hour and a half or anything, but just to have honest, good conversation, to be challenged with the Word, to be challenged with whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So here's prompt number one. Prompt number one is, where do I need to be more childlike? Prompt number two is, does something in your life make you sorrowfully walk away from following Jesus? And then the third prompt is just really simple. Then who? If not this one man, if not the man, the people in our lives who look like they should be, then who? What in your life makes you feel like you're disqualified from receiving God's kingdom? So go into these MC calls. Have a great time. Leave when you have to leave. No pressure, no shame. We love you. We want to interact with you. We can't wait until we're together again. I love you. Join me on the prayer calls. I'll be on them Monday, Wednesday, Friday on our website. And um, yeah, we love you. We miss you. City Life, have a great week.